Okay, this is Brussels talk, Wednesday the 11th of July, and the subject is Initiation into the Mysteries. It's uh, quite a vast subject, and most people don't really understand what this subject is all about, but it really is the, the whole keynote to the understanding of the life process. Initiation into the mysteries literally is uh, the process of evolution. Each kingdom of nature evolves into the next kingdom. And so we get, for instance, the mineral kingdom evolving into the plant kingdom, the plant evolving into the animal kingdom, the animal kingdom evolving into the human. And this was the subject of last week. We mentioned this whole process of the evolution of consciousness. But the human kingdom also evolves and evolves into the divine into the kingdom of God. And the process of jumping from one kingdom to the next is called initiation. And there's certain steps in this particular process. Most of you will learn the, the basic teachings on initiation in DK's books. Master DK, Alice Bailey, uh, Initiation in Human and Soul was his very first book written and published in 1919. And in one of his last ones was The Raisin Initiations. So he gives quite a lot of detailed information. So you get the, the basic teachings in that. And then my writings are all really on this subject in various different ways. As a matter of fact, all my students in Australia, we talk and think in terms of initiation, initiation process, and initiation attained. So the whole group there is going through group initiation. Well, let's start off with the way the human kingdom is structured. We have, first of all, the average, well, the more sensually polarised human beings. Those that are like animal humans, they like just come out of the ape-man stage. They only think in terms of brute force and sex. They don't even have all that much emotions. There's not much mind. And the next stage is the development of the emotions. And from the emotions and you get to the next stage is where most human beings on this planet are, which is emotional mind. They think with their emotions. They live by their emotions. They react to everything through the emotions and desire. That strongly conditions them. And everything is selfishly based and motivated because of this. And the wars and misery and suffering and all the rest of it that you know, man's inhumanity to man, as it's called, is based on this emotional mind and all the main sicknesses that people have is again because of their emotions. Now, the next stage of development is intellectual development where the mind is developed. And this particular civilization that we are in now has highly developed the mind. We have the materialistic science as the epitome, the, the cornerstone of this mental development. And so science is the god of this civilization before it was religion and, um, you know, worship of God, but now science has taken over. And science says that there's nothing except what we can prove of our instruments that exists. 
So this is development of the intellect, and most of you are quite uh, aware of that now. When you go to university, you're learning to use your mind, and you're learning to control your emotions. Those that live mostly with their minds are highly creative. They're the scientists, they're the, the, the rulers of this world in many ways. They, they make all the, the technological advances and so forth, right? our, our society. The general term for these, this um, class of human beings we call intelligentsia. Right? They're intelligent and they, they, they're ruled by their mind, their thinking processes, they're rational. The next phase of human development is those that are compassionate, that they're loving, that they're considerate. They've developed their minds, but they also see that there's more to life than just materialism and what materialism brings, that there's a concept of God, that to share resources and things like that. And those that are responding to, to concepts of of community service to helping other people. They're religious, generally. They, they, they think in terms of a god, or they can be Buddhists. As I said, they don't have a concept of god, but they are still the same. They work with the Bodhisattva ideal, the concept of compassion. So these, the, this level of people that, that are actively developing their love, and it's generally in a devotional way, we call aspirants. They are aspiring to higher ideals, higher spirituality, and to helping others. Once we get into this, then you have to understand that we, there's also what we call hierarchy, which is a later talk. Um, the hierarchy of light is next week. The hierarchy of light is composed of, of those members of the human unit that have mastered the initiation process, that have gained enlightenment, that are helping all human beings. And of them we have the masters of wisdom, such beings as the Christ, the Buddha, and other beings. So this is the, the spiritual kingdom which initiation leads you into. The masters of wisdom, they note the aspirants and they begin to send them impressions, telepathically or whatever, to aspire to greater heights. Now with regards to this concept of the hierarchy, then within that there's the structure of the ashrams of the masters of wisdom and the subray ashrams, which I won't go into now. But this process of initiation leads you to enter into the spiritual kingdom of the hierarchy of light, of those that have gained enlightenment. And the, the great yogis that have developed the cities, the great psychic powers, these are all members of hierarchy. And they reincarnate into the West or into the East as the great leaders, the great initiators, such as Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci or Raphael. They can become great scientists. They incarnate and produce great changes and benefits for humanity. They are great philosophers. Plato, Archimedes, all these, these great names are uh, initiates that have gained enlightenment or passed certain initiation steps and have incarnated to help human beings. So this whole path of initiation of enlightenment is this path of how you learn to love and gain the wisdom to love better. So the whole path 
of becoming an enlightened being, stands on the basis of being intelligent, part of the intelligentsia. And the next step is this aspiration upwards, and then eventually a master of wisdom notices you and you become a accepted disciple. You begin to be trained for initiation, to enter into the ashram of a master. Now, this master wisdom we're talking about, of course, is on the inner realms. They may be incarnate, but it's on the inner realms. So this whole process of initiation then is a, a method whereby you're lifted into higher and higher stages of realization, greater and greater enlightenment. The path of probation you know, you're probationary disciple preparing for initiation. And you have to work upon yourself. Now, the initiation process is, is the process of mastery, as I said, to enter into the, the divine or the spiritual kingdom. And such things as working with the divas, um, seeing auras, uh, remembering past lives, and all of these types of aspects come through passing initiation testings and through the meditation process which leads you to the masters. This nine-headed hydra, which is this chart, which you can all download, as you now know, uh, is relates on the whole to the first initiation. Each of the initiation, the steps of the initiation, uh, relate to the mastery of one or other aspect of the human persona. The first initiation gives you complete mastery of the physical plane. Now, it's not just being a scientist and and being able to handle, make a lot of money. This is not what we're talking about. Mastery of the physical plane um, means the mastery of the processes of the energies that work through your physical body and of the chakras and the nadis, the energy body within your physical body, you begin to master those energies. And the ancient system was Hatha Yoga, the old forms of, um, you've seen it, um, people sitting cross-legged and, uh, and all of those other types of um, yoga positions. This was a mechanism of working to master the body. And they worked with also the breathing techniques in Sanskrit, pranayama. Prana is the energy. So they worked with breathing techniques and hatha yoga um, as a mechanism of controlling the body. Now, with this first initiation stage, we're working not just at physical plane control, but the mastery of the way that you live your lives through your physical plane appetites, which I'll describe. And this is the conquering of the nine heads of the hydra. This is not as easy as most people think. So the, the true path of spirituality, and when you read the Bible properly, you'll understand that all of that has got to do with initiation. The Jesus went through the three main initiation processes, which uh, is described quite well in the symbolism of the Bible, which when I get to the Bible talk, I'll try to explain a little bit on esoteric Christianity. 
So it's not as easy as you think, this, this first initiation level. As I said, Hatha Yoga and Pranayama was, was part of this process. It also involves what most of you are quite familiar with, being healthy. Everything that makes you healthy. You cannot control your body if you're going to be sick and diseased. Therefore, it involves the food that you eat, understanding quite well that you need to eat a balanced diet. I don't need to give you all of the regulations of what makes people healthy in terms of food. Some of you here already are aware have been working upon that aspect of yourself for quite a while. And there's all sorts of food combinations. And I said, on the spiritual path, it will make you vegetarian. Later on, this is also part of the mastery of the body. Later on, you'll have to work with proper inbreathing of energies and the proper vitalization of the body um, and by eliminating the animal toxins, the animal pranas. But until then, it's not necessary to become vegetarian to pass the first initiation, but it's part of the process that will enable you to be healthy. Now, there's numbers of causes of sickness and disease, and I won't go into them, and one of those causes is your past lives activities, things you've done in the past, and the karma comes through in the present. That gives you predisposition to sicknesses and disease now. So not everything that you do can produce perfect health. And in any case, once you become an accepted disciple, the master of the ashram of which you have become part of, works out your karma so that you are tested according to how you respond to such things as sicknesses, the difficulties in life. Because you can't gain initiation, which is the mastery of the life process, unless you are tested. And aspects of this is like passing an examination. So the exams, if you want, on the way. But the exams are not things you write down. It's not a written exam. It's exams on aspects to do with your psychology, what you've mastered of your own self. And the other thing that I want to bring into perspective here is that nowadays initiation is group initiation. It's not individual. It used to be individual where an individual would be working upon themselves and thinking of themselves and how to develop this quality doing their yoga on their own. You you go from Hatha Yoga eventually to Raja Yoga, which produces technically the third initiation. But it's not that anymore. It's how to help each other as a group and how that group can help society that your uh, testings and initiation are worked out. And within the group evolution, there is the individual own testings, own forms of mastery. Everyone is different. Everyone has a different psychological makeup. Everyone has different emotions. There are similarities, of course, but there's also differences. People have different mind structures. You've, you come from different backgrounds. You've learned things. Some people will find certain types of testings very easy because they've learned that quite well in past life and they've brought it in this life or they've, they've been working upon this aspect of themselves in this particular life. And others will find that very, very hard to master. 
But the master that's looking at your development is looking not at what's easy for you to do, it's looking at what's hard for you to do. So the things that you really find easy to do, you're not going to be tested in those things. One of your group brothers and sisters may be tested and may find that very difficult. And within this comes what we call the ray condition, the psychological makeup. Um, we've mentioned a little bit about the rays and you're looking at the aura before, but this ray conditioning is also taking into account. So if somebody's on the first ray or the second ray, the third ray, fourth ray, they, they are tested differently. The group itself will be found to be a group that's composed of disciples that are generally along a certain ray line. It may be a second ray group or a third ray group. The, the second ray is love wisdom, the third ray is active intelligence. And so the, the type of energy and qualities that they have been tested with in the service work is dependent on the type of ray that they have, the type of energy qualification that they are working with. So there's many, many, many factors involved. And the individual concerned will be also working to discover the, the rays that condition them, whether they are third-ray personality, whether it's active intelligence, or fifth-ray of scientific reasoning, or fourth-ray of harmony through conflict, or sixth-ray of devotion, whether that's these types of fundamental energy dispensation of their personality, and then it's a subsidiary ray of their mind, of their emotional body, of their physical body. But fundamentally, uh, when we look at this initiation process, we're actually looking at the ray and the subray of the soul. And we're working and trying to discover exactly what those rays are, because that is the way that the individual will be passing their initiation testings and the initiation process. So it's a, a quite a established and long, long science. And the student on the whole doesn't need to worry too much about the process, except that they will be looking upon themselves in terms of their rays, their ray consideration, and what they need to do within themselves in order to master the qualities. So what we're talking about in initiation is that which makes you perfected, a perfected human being. And as um, St. Um, Paul puts it, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ, um, to that perfection. So if you can imagine whatever the, whatever the Christians think Jesus to have been perfected, and Paul says you must become as perfected as Jesus was. And the whole stage of initiation, the whole process, is to make you as perfected as that being. That's what it's all about. And so this whole process of mastery of yourself and then the mastery of the group activities, the group work, is what you're led into. So we're not in the first initiation, as I said, so much concerned with bodily postures. We're not asking you to do hatha yoga. Hatha yoga is not important. But that which produces a healthy body so that your mind can grow healthily, that is important. And most of you have already been working upon this aspect because no, most people don't like sickness and disease. They like to be free from these things. But as you learn more about initiation, you're overcoming selfishness 
You're overcoming self-centeredness. You're learning to give up the concept of yourself so that you live within the group and the group activity. The group self becomes more important. It's like even in our societies, you know, when there's a case of the war happening, you know, they ask for people to volunteer or they, they conscript people to go into the army because the national self is more important than the individual. So they'll go to the army and they'll get themselves killed if need be to save the nation. So this is a gross example of this concept of self-worth where you consciously work out or understand that you can do a lot more good for humanity by working as part of a group rather than as working as individuals. And also, each one of you can help each other grow. So you're not isolated anymore, you're each helping, serving disciples. So the concept of service and helping is fundamental to this initiation path. You're awakening your heart. You're not awakening your solar plexus or the concrete aspect of your mind. It's how to love better. And it's only those who are working consciously to try to love better, to try to help others, that are accepted as disciples by the Masters of Wisdom, that are giving the training for the initiation process. And this is fundamental. There is also the Dark Brotherhood, which I haven't mentioned yet, the forces of evil, and they also have their own form of initiation. Initiation was always inherent within our human society. It's only in this recent modern epoch dominated by the intelligentsia, where they think there's nothing more than what the mind can, can tell you, that this concept of initiation has been eliminated. But if you go back to ancient times, for instance, in in Rome and Greece, you had the temples of Eleusius, the mysteries of Mithra. They went to temples, and in ancient Greece and ancient Egypt and so forth, they went to temples, and there they gained the initiations, teachings, and these were normally secret. They were pledged in secrecy, like in masonry, they, they learn certain types of rites and rituals that lead them to the various degrees to eventually become a master mason. And likewise with these ancient temples, and it doesn't matter where you went to, what part of the world, there were temples of initiation. As I said, at the Lucius, at Ephesus, all these places had their specific temples and they were dedicated for instance to the mysteries of Isis or the mysteries of Hathor so the special temples dedicated to a particular god or goddess that you became pledged to and then you went through the process of probation etc and until eventually you became an initiate within that temple. You may become a priest or a priestess, a high priestess ruling over numbers of temples where initiates or novitiates come. And it's a similar sort of thing, of course, in the Roman Catholic uh, concept of the clergy 
go through all the stages of becoming a priest and then from a priest you become a bishop and an archbishop and cardinal and so forth. This is also certain form of initiation into the mysteries of, of that particular religion. And they're supposed to become wiser, more knowledgeable and more loving, more integrated with God is the concept, right? And now these temples of initiation... Um, though they were real and they, they had their benefit and the, the most real um, were those that often, as I said, had the, the secrets. For instance, back in, at, in ancient Greece, if you entered the temple of initiation uh, offered by Pythagoras, you were asked to spend two years in absolute silence. You're not allowed to talk for two years. And for those two years, you are on a probationary path. So if you can think of not talking, being silent, and doing whatever is asked of you to do, before you can be given any teachings, that's the process. Understand that that this was serious training. There were certain powers that were given Therefore, for instance, at, at, um, the, at, I think it was at Eleusius, there was, uh, no, at Delphic, you've heard of the Delphic Oracle. You know, the, the kings, the rulers of the time went to the Delphic Oracle to get prophecies about whether, you know, if they, for instance, going to go into war, what would be the outcome? And they would not go to war. The Delphic Oracle um, gave a prophecy that was not favourable. Um, and people went all the time for these types of utterances from this particular oracle. And the the priestess there that gave this, and there was a whole series of priestesses, they went through quite a rigorous training in order to be able to see the future, to be able to give these utterances. So they went through a initiation training. So you see, it's always been the way to gain high repertory communication with deity, with God, or that which is the divine. And all of the indigenous peoples, like the American Indians, they all had their initiation training. In Australia, you know, the Aboriginals would have marks cut, you know, certain sort of um, rites were given at puberty. They went through stages of learning how to be a man, and women had the same sort of rites. But there was also the mysteries of the tribe. Sometimes they learnt everything to do with the whole history of their nation uh, as part of this. So, and of course they normally became the medicine man, the healer. Uh, they had the special knowledge of, of going into trance and then coming back with, with revelation of, of whatever it was that those that came to them wanted. This particular process of initiation, it still exists and the masters of wisdom rule over it. But it's, of course, much more refined than what is given or revealed in the books you can read, because I said most of it has always been hidden, was not allowed to be revealed, and therefore not written down. However, now, since the advent of Blavatsky and then Bailey, the information has been given by Master D.K., and I'm giving much more than has ever been revealed in my books. So you understand now that this this whole process is quite a serious spiritual science that the masters give 
to train their students to be worthy to receive impressions from the kingdom of God, which we call Shambhala. So my book is called The Way to Shambhala because it's all about this process that brings you to the kingdom of God to receive high revelations. So the probationary disciple stage is that which prepares you for the first initiation. And I've been talking about the first initiation because that's where most of you are here uh, at to learn about is that it's mastery of your physical plane situation. And we were talking about the health aspect of it. But on the whole, it's not so much to do with your self. We're not talking about initiation so that you can become really healthy or even that you can become a healer. That's not so much the point of initiation. The point of initiation is that you can serve so you can help others. And you may help others to become a healer, through becoming a psychologist, through giving them sound psychological advice. With each initiation, there are certain testings that you have to pass in order to take the initiation. Now, with the first initiation, and these testings are symbolised by the nine heads of the hydra. Now, if you know the story of Hercules, this hydra was a serpent with nine heads that lived in a swamp. If you cut off one head, then immediately two heads would grow. So if you try to cut off the heads of the serpent, it would only make it more powerful. Now, the, the swamp symbolises this physical, emotional world that people live in, all of their emotions their fears, their worries, their anxieties, their hatreds, their spites. Everything like this is the swamp of the hydra. And the heads of the hydra are those qualities of the human being that are poisonous, such as being hateful, being spiteful, being envy, being malicious, being selfish, self-centred, pride, separativeness, cruelty. So you understand this is the way most people are. And when people try to battle with themselves to control these qualities, you cut off one little aspect of it and two grow in its place. and only makes it stronger because you're so self-focused. So if you don't want to be so selfish, it's very hard to overcome selfishness because everyone around you is selfish. And so... This initiation process is this overcoming of these aspects of yourself and then later on of the group. Now, the first initiation, the three main heads of the Hydra are sex, physical comforts and money. Now, with regards to sex, it's the relationship of the pairs of opposites. Most of you, you know, all of you here are older, but you, but you can go back to when you were quite young, when you were a teenager, and how much this sexual function controlled your lives, dominated your thinking, and controlled much of the way society interrelates, you know, human society. You know, people go to 
the places uh, to attract the opposite sex. It's all sorts of relationship of the pairs of opposites that can be selfishly or divinely blended. But on the whole, you're looking for a partner. It doesn't always work out that way. But you will also understand that there are many beings out there that manipulate the sexual energy, the sexual drive. You see the advertisements everywhere are manipulating the sexuality of women uh, um, and getting women to try to buy all these things for themselves and make them prettier so they can feel better or whatever it is. So it's not just this sexual urge that uh, must be mastered. Now we're not talking about suppression. We're talking about proper and rightful use. It's mastery. You're not asked to be a celibate individual because that is an extremism. You're asked to develop this rightful road of normal functioning of the sexual instinct so that, for instance, you produce children and, and give them the, you know, the teachings they need to survive in this world. So in order to pass initiation testings, you cannot avoid or block off that which produces the mastery of control of. And you can not necessarily say that you're in control of something if you're celibate. You could be hiding from a fearful sex life from an earlier stage or sexual abuse or any sort of thing like that. Or, and what only happens in this particular case, you would be blocking and damming up energies and then it goes through into another aspect of your personality which becomes a head of the hydra. This is what we are talking about. You cut off one head and the energies go into another part of your personality and makes it even stronger. Now, Hercules, when he was battling the Hydra, discovered that this is a very hard thing to do to actually overcome this Hydra in its own element, in the swamp. It was just too powerful. So the way he overcame the Hydra, he had to drag it away from the swamp and lift it up into the air, into the sun. The sun symbolises the soul. The soul which is the whole objective of your reincarnation, which is what you truly are. And in the light of the sun, away from that watery, murky environment, the hydra died. And this is what each individual that's undergoing the, the, the stages of, of initiation must do. They must get themselves out of the environment that leads to those types of qualities that are not desirable. You don't go to brothels if you want to uh, pass the, the sex testing. You don't indulge in those sorts of activities. You basically have to understand this middle way and not be attracted by any of the extremes. With regards to the sex, it's not just sexuality. It's all the power, the virility of, of the strength of the body, of the, the charisma of the personality, your sexual attractiveness, and all of these things that, that people are so glamoured by that become meaningless. This is one of the reasons why in the Muslim society they ask women to cover up. And I think, of course, it's more for the men because they are attracted by the, the women's form and they don't want to be tempted by that. And they basically want to be holy and uh, do, do their prayers five times.
times a day. But it's also so that women don't think of um, themselves as sex goddesses and they're there to, to be a faithful wife to their, to their husband to produce the children and they don't need to attract a lot of men to them to play those games, which is overly engrossed fascination and overly stimulated sexual society in the West. So the middle way between those two would be the, the best thing. So you can see that this particular glamour of sex and sexuality is more than just the, the physical act. It actually um, requires a proper balanced approach in your whole lifestyle to do with the way you look. Of course, we are older here. So we don't worry about that anymore, that much. Uh, but it's, it's quite important still. And um, with our physical well-being, with the, the virility or the charisma that we have, this is not so important. In all of the past this testing, the sexual function has to be put in its right place. So most of you understand this. And the harder aspect of, of this first initiation testing is money. And most people think of the use of money for themselves. They want to accumulate as much as they want so that they can make them for themselves a beautiful environment and for their children or whatever. But what they don't understand is that money itself is an illusion. It's, uh, well, in this particular world, it's a fiat, it's uh, paper. It's paper that, that's printed out of nothing. And the government says here, here's a piece of paper. Now, this is um, going to cost you so many hours of your labour to get from us. And we want from you so much slavery so that you can be addicted to these bits of paper and you can pile them up and do this and this and this with it. So you'll understand this concept of money. Now, it has its value. It, you know, it's a medium of exchange. But, of course, it's abused. And most of you know the way it is being abused, the way it's manipulated by some very greedy and selfish individuals. And so we have the billionaires and the multimillionaires and the great masses of people uh, on the streets, you know, barely surviving and families, you know, people nowadays have to work, you know, like when, I, when we were all young and they took one person to have a job to look after family and uh, a wife, you know, pay for the house and uh, everyone was happy. Nowadays, there's two people struggling terribly and they can't still afford to buy a house with two people working because of the greed of the financial system that has been imposed upon us since then. And this selfishness of those that manipulate money, those that are passing this first initiation testing, they actually have to understand the true value of money. They have to learn to use their money very wisely indeed, and they have to learn to be generous with their resources. If you corner money for yourself or for your immediate family, it's not going to give you first initiation. Testing's past. So you have to think this. You, you need a certain amount of resources, but on the whole, the, the money that's given to you, we look at it in terms of karma. How much karma do you have? Do you have the karma of giving all your money away in, in a formal life where you worked and you, you've created great things for humanity? Uh, a good example would be maybe, say, Van Gogh. You, you know this artist. 
Now, you know, that nowadays, if you wanted to buy one of his paintings, I don't think any of us could, if we put all of our money together, could even buy a small one of his paintings. You know, a big painting is $14 million, right? And that's just a decent one, maybe $16 million. It's just a phenomenal amount of money. But all his life, he lived in absolute poverty. He only ever sold one painting in his life. And when he sold that painting, he got a gun and shot himself. He died. That was it. That was his whole life. He sold one painting. You think of the vast amount of money that people have made out of buying and selling his paintings since then. As I said, one painting is $40 million. You can buy a couple of these blocks of houses with that sort of money. And, but him, nothing. So what do you think the karma is of a Vincent van Gogh when he reincarnates? See, He lived like that. People made millions and millions of dollars out of his work. So when he reincarnates, he's going to be exceedingly wealthy. He must be, the karma must pay him this money. If you think of all of those people that in past lives that gave themselves for the benefit of humanity and suffered a lot, had no resources, the karma must come back. Money is like this. It's a form of energy. It's not real. It's what you make of the money that's important. If you use it for selfish purpose, to build an empire of materialism around you, it's going to produce for you in a future life a health state. You want to live in poverty in India? You want to live on the streets with hardly any clothing and no food? Then you build up for yourself lots and lots of money and things that money can buy and you take it from all around you and it will guarantee your next life you're going to be living like that. You understand? This is just a basic way of looking at what money is. It's energy. And how you use the energy is what's important. And if you use the energy for helping those around you, and most of you start with your family, of course, that's understandable, but you have to think of a, a larger, wider arena of service work. So you have to wisely use the money and to understand what it's all about. If you give stupidly, that is not wisely. You can give to the wrong causes. You can have your money stolen from you because you're giving to a thief. So you actually have to understand where's the best use for what you have. What we do is we follow the middle road. You have enough for yourself in order to meet all your needs. You're not going to end up on the streets with a sign in front of you saying, I'm, you know, Jefem. This is not the way you're going to help anyone. So you've got to understand the wise way of giving is what you need and what the society needs. And so there's money coming and going. But if you make yourself totally impoverished, you're not going to help one person, not even yourself. This is not wisdom. So it's actually a proper, balanced approach to how you use the money that you have. And some people have a lot of money and some people have no money. And so there's different types of resources. And so with those that don't have much money, then they help by the group. Those that have a lot, 
this balance of the proper understanding of the financial resources and to properly understand what it is. And this actually um, asks you to actually look into the way that money is manipulated in this world. The, the way that the bankers and the, the governments uh, manipulate money to cause mass poverty and suffering and selfishness. I gave you an example of when we were young and the difference between then and now. And what is the difference between then and now? It's the American-style capitalism, what, uh, which is what's been uh, imposed upon our socialistic system that we used to have in Europe and my country, Australia. This must go. And you have to teach those around you to be compassionate, to be more loving, to be more generous. And this is part of this first initiation training. So you can see you start off with learning about your physical body, as I said, you're looking at health and everything that makes you healthy, and you talk to others about what's making them healthy or unhealthy, and then you go to the sexual aspect of life, and from that you're going into this proper use of money. Now, the third aspect of the first initiation testing is what we call material comforts, material comforts testings. Now, most of you are quite aware that if you're a monk or a nun, you would be living in a little room, a little cell, maybe in a very beautiful monastery, but you've given up all your possessions and you're willing to, to scrub the floors, you do whatever, the gardening, whatever is to be done, um, but you yourself have nothing, and you only have bare minimum necessities to live, like a, a monastery in, in India, for instance, for the, for the Buddhist monks, and, you know, St. Francis of Assisi. If you, you know his story, you know, he didn't even wear shoes, and this was even in the snow when, you know, you know how cold it is. None of his um, followers wore shoes in, the, in the, the winter in the snow and things like that. They only wore one cloth and uh, that was made out of goat's wool or something like that. Itched you. That, <laughs> that was it. Because it was absolute poverty. Now, and we're not asking to be like that. But this is the, the concept of material comforts. To understand that you only need a certain amount of lifestyle comforts. And then after that, it's excessive. You don't need more than a certain amount in order to pass your testings. Because everything that you consume, and this is the consumer society, right? What is the consumer society telling you to do? To buy, 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 buy. Put yourself into debt, more and more into debt. So you can have more and more material things. Right? Whatever you think you've got, you've got to have the better one. You know, the normal car that people have is not good enough. They're going to have a, you know, eventually they want a Mercedes-Benz or a Rolls-Royce or something like that. It's got to compete with the neighbour. This consumer society is what drives our civilization at present. And so what happens is people make themselves poor and they worry about all sorts of things and virtually everything ends up in the garbage dump. And so you see mountains of garbage and all these bags that they, people put all their unused things in and they end up in landfills. You understand the vast amount of wastage of resources that happens because of people's drive to have ever more better things. And of course, in the society and our business ethics, it's 
what we call planned obsolescence. They make a light bulb that's only going to last a certain amount of time before it goes bad and you have to buy another one. These neon lights, they could make a light bulb, a neon light that would last for 40 years. It's very simple. All they need to do is make the filament in the centre bigger. 40 years will last. But they make it so thin so that it's only last for whatever they say it's going to last. Then you have to buy another one, another one, another one, another one. That's right, planned obsolescence. This is our society. Now, the first degree initiates will be looking for a different thing. It's the sort of thing that when we are young, our society lived in, which was they made things to last. The cars that you bought were easy to be fixed up. People could fix them up. Mechanics, if a boy, you know, a young sort of 15-year-old could fix up your car if it went wrong. Now, if something goes wrong with your car, you can't even bring it to a mechanic. They have to be specialist mechanic with specialist equipment because you've got so many electronic gadgets in there that can all go wrong. And they cost you a mountain of money to fix up. In those days, virtually anyone could fix up a car. It was simple, right? Even I could learn. Yes, you can go on and on with what's happening with our society. And it's all to make you worry, all to make you spend money fast. So that you've got a work ball, so that the big people up, up on, on the top of our societies, you know, they can have their 30 million or 40 million dollars a year bonuses and uh, make their two, three hundred million dollars a year, whereas everyone else has to work like crazy. It's um, to make everyone slaves. You know, now they've eliminated slavery, yes. Um, but you're a work slave. You're forced to work very long hours and to worry about your jobs because conditions have been taken away from you. The amount of money you're getting is just enough to make ends meet because you're in debt all the time. This is a debt slavery. So you may not have the chains on you, but you've got to work for this system which is based on planned obsolescence so that the few people can be super wealthy and the great masses of people are in poverty making the money you know, using all of their labour at very, very small um, rewards for the amount of labour that they put into making a tiny little bit of money um, whereas these people at the top they put in a little bit of labour and they get a mountain of money for that Right, um, and this is the way it works. And so the first degree initiates, once they learn what the third aspect of the head of the hydra that they're working upon, you can see it's not just their lifestyle, they, they're trying to live in a sane way with the, the comforts they need, but they understand the power of money, they understand planned obsolescence, they understand the way that um, all the material comforts that people uh, need that's ending up in garbage dumps come from the environment. It comes from destroying the, the plants and the soil and you know, mining and from the oil and so forth. All of these things is the evils of our society that the first degree initiate is working to try to fix up. So you'll see them as environmentalists. They're in Greenpeace. They're, in, they're looking at 
um, whatever whatever their, their thing is. It could be climate change. It could be it could be against the bankers, for instance, in um, Wall Street Occupy movement. These are generally first degree initiates, and there's lots of them out there. They're concerned with with these things to do with material living style problems with the way that the society is being ripped off. You know, they're anti-nuclear. You you know them. You're probably part of this when you're younger. There's this type of mindset because you're not concerned for yourself. Most of these also, they're younger, of course. When I was young, it was was anti-Vietnam War demonstrations and things like that, and, you know, anti-environmental issues, anti-rainforest logging in in my country and things like that, and big battles with the great industrialists and those that that come with chainsaws and destroy every tree that's living and turn it into a desert. This is environmental destruction. And so the first-degree initiate... And those on the probationary path for the first degree initiative, they're the ones that are involved in the health food market that are looking for biodynamic food or whatever it is. They, they're trying to grow their own vegetables mostly. They have their own little garden plots. They're looking after the environment in whichever way it is. And they're trying to fight the financial manipulators on this planet. They're busy you know, demonstrating and... Worrying about the future of their children, because the future of their children, what are they entering into? This dog-eat-dog world of um, greed and selfishness and material might that our rulers impose upon our society. And people have to figure out how to break free from all of that. So you can see this first initiation level of testings. So if somebody wasn't a first-degree initiate, they would be busy involved in consuming lots and lots of things, making a nice environment for themselves, um, greedily wanting to build a big home, um, trying to become a banker, whatever it is. The first degree initiates say, this is all death to our society, death and destruction to our environment. We will divert our lives and we'll go to jail if need be to try to prevent this horror story from happening. So you can see this turnabout from selfish thinking to unselfish thinking, where you're not just involved in your family, you're involved in the entire community, and some of them move to try to to, to save the world from environmental destruction. There is another aspect of this first initiation level of testings, and that is what I sometimes call material plane law versus spiritual law. The law that we have now, the law that is imposed upon us, on the whole, most of them are evil. They're anti-society. They're not really designed anymore for the welfare of people. They're to serve the super-rich. And the spiritual laws are completely different. So to reinstate the new legal system, instead of Monsanto, this big multinational genetic engineering food company trying to rule everyone's food and have power over that to raise the prices and and cause something like 100,000 farmers in India alone committing suicide because of the um, high rates of the food, because of the power of um, the American uh, military might, 
and financial might imposing these laws upon the rest of the world to fight that. It's the legal system that's corrupt through and through. We all know that there should be no such thing as genetically engineered food. But it just took five out of nine voted for this law that allowed genetic engineering in America. So one extra judge and the whole world is ruined because of this law. And you can see, again, another vital arena of service work for first-degree initiates. So those of you that have a little bit of excess money, you go and put it into helping people to demonstrate or helping any of these organisations because they all very, very little money in any of them because all the money is really going to the super-rich. So this ties in again with this, um, the, the money head of the hydra. So you can see what we're talking about. So it's charitable concerns with your money. You need, you need to live in a, you know, you've got to raise children, you've got to have a, a, a reasonable lifestyle, you, you, you know, most of you need a car and so forth. But at the same time, um, you don't need the, the most expensive car that's out there. You don't need to have the designer clothing on, on your back. These things are not important. What you need is to live a middle-income lifestyle and in such a way that you can help more and more people with whatever resources you can. And if you don't have the money resources, then you help these organisations and whatever area that you want to educate the public. The first uh, degree initiate level is quite evident on this planet and you can see what's opposing them. It's a vast hydra of selfishness and materialism that our societies, our educational system is breeding. Our governments are corrupt through and through and bought out by the super wealthy. They do not have an independent thought. Only one politician here and there that maybe is not being bought out by this. And the average television watching population, they are oblivious (laughs) to what's happening around them. Yeah. They fed sex, drugs, violence on TV and sports, which is not a form of violence in my way of thinking, and that's what keeps them. They're drugged with images of sex, of all the movies and things that they watch, and most of the other movies are full of violence and people being killed on a mass scale, and the rest of it is sport, and it's just one step removed from the gladiator happenings of uh, the Roman Empire. Okay, this is not where the initiative is focused. So you can see the initiation process. So this has got to do with the control of your lifestyle on the physical plane. Everything here is still to do with physical plane activity. So the second degree initiate, the task here is much more difficult and subtler. What is the second degree initiate? Involved with, they have to actually start to master their emotions. They will learn that all sickness and diseases on this planet are because of people's emotions. And their emotions is what allows them to be, I'll use the term, brainwashed <laughs> um, by mass media, by the, the corporate uh, media that, that rules everything that they do, the advertisements that you see everywhere on, on the streets, 
And when you pick up a newspaper, when you turn on your TV set or whatever it is, even on the computer, there they are, full of ads and things for you to do what? And most of it is to consume your time in time-wasting activities, emotionalism. You know, I don't watch TV, and you know, I haven't had a TV for many, many years, but you know, I certainly know the types of shows that are there, and the shows that people watch are generally the most emotional shows you can think of. Anyway, you, you get an idea that this drugged sedation of people through the intoxication of television, of the mass media, of the movie industry and so forth, is to stop them from thinking about any serious issue on this planet. And it causes their sickness and diseases, it causes the the mass um, market hysteria and all the rest of it. Now, with the disciple they actually have to learn to master their emotions for the second initiation. And this is exceedingly difficult because most people have been taught that the emotions is the way to survive in our society. Uh, People think emotionally. And the emotions is what I call, often to some of my other students, stupid emotions. Um, They produce stupidity. You can all remember all of your time when you were younger and maybe even now, when you've had all these stupid uh, emotional reactions over stupid things. You wanted to kill somebody sometimes with anger. Or you've gone through all of these rages and emotional moods. And to what effect have they produced, apart from making you worry and ill through worry and fear? So that you can see that this emotionality must be controlled. You can only really develop your mind and wisdom once you're no longer controlled, once your emotions no longer control your thinking. Your thoughts must be in control of your emotions. And if if your emotions control, then the emotions make you do stupid things. They make you put your money in the wrong places. You lose your money if you're emotional in your thinking. One of the, the things that you have to control, for instance, is your fear. Fear is almost universal in our societies. Your fear of losing your job, your fear of getting sick. The governments have got the propaganda of fear all the time now, pushing to your fear of terrorists. What happens if a terrorist sort of hits? Of course, they take away all the civil liberties and human rights because of this entrenched fear they producing upon the masses. How many people have been killed in, in Europe through terrorist acts compared to, uh, let us say, lightning striking and killing people? I can guarantee you more people have been killed by being hit by lightning than through terrorism. And if you look up the statistics, you'll find so. Why is this? And yet the governments use the fear of terrorism to rule everyone's lives, internet security and so forth. And because it's manufactured fear. Why is it? Because people are not in control of their emotional lives. They're manipulated. Every which way. People are manipulated to think by their emotions. And you have all the evils of society come out as a consequence of this. So the second degree initiate has to learn 
to overcome all aspects of the emotions. Now, the fear aspect is, is one thing. You understand the, the gross emotions such as hate, for instance, or ambition to achieve things, to overcome. These are the main ones. But what, what is hate? Hate in our spirituality, we're no longer interested in hate. We don't really have hatreds. We may sort of have a severe dislike of the way that the government is ruling our societies and uh, the way that um, money is being manipulated by the super wealthy. But the, the hatred is being changed into love. We have a compassion. We're developing more and more compassion. What is the main energy that, for instance, a second degree initiate has to overcome is irritation. What Master Moya in the Agni Yoga series of books written by Helen Aroris is called Imperil. It imperils the life of the disciple. Imperil means it stops the spirituality from developing because you have this critical mind, the spirit of criticism. It's not hate, it's irritation. Things around you irritate you. And you then become critical with your mind because of these iterable things. It can be the heat, it can be the noise around you. Now, what's happening by the time you're working for your second initiation? Your emotions are now very, very highly developed. You are highly devotional. You've got aspiration to achieve high things, to obtain the visions of God. You're doing meditation. You're serving humanity. These gross emotions no longer are affecting you. But, uh, but your high aspiration, your devotion to service work, your reading the spiritual books, for instance, and you're learning about these things, you're improving your mind, and you're working upon yourself. But what's happening as you become more and more devotional and aspirational and meditative, is that energies are starting to come into you from your soul, from the master of wisdom, from the inner planes. Now the energies become very strong. And as the energies come into you, they throw out of you your emotional poisons. They intensify them. So the second-degree initiate is battling and fighting with the effects of their spirituality, with the effects of the energies that are coming in that's making aspects of their mind or aspects of their emotions aberrated or aberrant. So you find that what you thought you'd mastered before no longer is applying. A thought that comes into your mind again and again and you have to battle this because the energy is coming. Suddenly there's a strong desire to do something and then you have to pull yourself back because the energy comes into you and is pushing that desire and becomes strong. And sometimes it can be impulsive but on the whole now the disciple has to learn to be calm at all times, serene, meditatively poised. Remember I talked about earlier when I started to talk on meditation, this ocean, this calm ocean or this calm lake. Now this is the part, the process of passing your second initiation testings. 
is to be serene and calm at all times, no matter what is happening around you. Those things don't matter too much. They come and go. But you yourself, if you want to be wise, and if you want to help people out there, and if you want to help the society, you've got to control the emotions. You've got to control the energies that are coming through you. So this in itself becomes a battle. And as a matter of fact, you'll find that you become much more loving. And the energy of love itself can become a problem. How to give love? Where to give love? How not to have your love abused? Because um, when you give your love to others around you, stupidly, they will take advantage of it. You'll waste your time with them. You have to develop your mind, and the mind has to take over completely your emotional thinking. And so you become more refined in your thinking. There's no longer a necessary thinking of going out on the streets and demonstrating. That's not so much your focus. Your focus may be now more writing information, teaching people the the sources or the causes of all of these problems in society. But mostly you're beginning to focus inwards to divinity. You're beginning to align yourself with the hierarchy of light, which is all love, and with your own soul. And the energies are pouring into your consciousness and stimulating you to do greater service work. But as they do so, and as you energize, also, as I said, aspects of your emotions will come to the surface. What we call samskaras come from past lives. Aspects to do of your pride that you didn't think you had. So these samskaras come to the surface and you have to analyse them minutely to see the good and the bad and these energies that are coming in, and then you have to battle them, control them, so that all the time you are serene. You develop the wisdom in order to help others properly, through proper thinking. So this means control of what we call the solar plexus centre, and all of the energies that come to and from it. So you begin to aspire higher to the subjective planes. And then what also comes in your mind now are the visions, are the meditation impressions of divinity, of symbols, images of the masters, your dreaming, your dream life may become very, very strong and clear. These, these refined impressions are coming. And also you'll find that you start to do creative works, for instance, artistic or musical or, or writing works that are becoming much more refined and much more powerful in the quality of the teachings that you can give to people. Because images are coming into your mind that will enable you to write and say things that are very inspirational to people around you. So the second initiation is at this particular level of proper control of your emotions. 
And at this particular stage, you're learning, you're dying to your concept of yourself and you're merging into the group service work. Your brothers and sisters now are your family. And brothers and sisters, I mean your group brothers and sisters, are your true spiritual family. You've found them, you're attracting them to you, and the group is growing. And so they become the source of your inspiration and you work out your group service work, whatever that is. It becomes more dynamic and important in the world. So this second initiation level is this of, um, of building, I use the term here for you, a group aura. Your own aura is being cleansed. It's, going, it's being all the, the greys and the muddy colours are going and, and instead you're getting the beautiful light blues and the pinks and the, the golden energy and it's becoming more radiant. So anyone can see the aura or see that quite clearly that you are a disciple, that you are mastering the emotions. There's no longer these sort of strong emotional swirls in your aura. So when you are emotions, what you do is you produce this turbulence like a washing machine energy and you throw it out at people. And you understand what happens when you throw this energy out, you're making yourself sick. You're devitalizing your own self. When you throw this strong emotional energy out, you're taking it out of your aura and you're throwing it out into the atmosphere. And so there's this energy whirlpool that is taking substance from you and devitalizing you, making you um, less strong to be able to handle what's around you. So you become weak and things can attack you. You're not resilient in life. So this second initiation is that you produce a very strong aura and then the group as a whole produces a strong aura. So nothing can really harm the group from the point of view of what other people can say. You understand that what often happens is that when you start to do service work and you're different from that world out there and you begin to show your difference, then they become jealous uh, they can be what we call malicious gossip and things like that. And what happens at this particular stage of development also is that well, the forces of evil, which I won't go into too much here, definitely you attract them to you and they start to attack you. They start to try to prevent you from doing the service work because you're a force against them. And you're trained in the second degree initiate um, level of spiritual development occult practices of how to resist attacks. You begin to see the inner realms and you have to deal with things that exist on the inner realms, entities and service work that you have to do on the inner realms to cleanse the world's astral emotional mess. So there's this life of inner plane livingness that becomes very beautiful uh, and there's much work that's done this way in meditation. So your visions in meditation become quite vibrant and beautiful. And you, know, you use mantras and all the things that, that you know of um, in your spiritual life, incense or whatever. But the meditation work increases as you start to master the emotions and you produce a stronger aura. More energy comes in, more visions come in and you come closer to the hierarchy. 
So this is the the second initiation. Now, one thing I'll point out: there are tests along the way. Each at each initiation level, there's tests that you must pass in order to pass the initiation, and these are worked out by the master of wisdom for you and for the group. And each testing is a crisis. Crisis is um, something that happens in your life that happens to do with your psychology that you have to master. It can be something really, really difficult for someone. For instance, uh, say a mother has a son and the son gets killed. It may be a crisis to deal with the mastery of the emotions at the time. Instead of sort of you know, going into trauma, uh, realizing, ah, oh, the son is now in, released from being in a physical body. He's quite happy out there in the astral plane. Uh, he's talking to me. This sort of thing. You understand? I'm just giving you a small example. A, a crisis in the second initiation can be losing all your money. Uh, it's all gone. What are you going to do? Uh, it's testings that, that come. It can be, and more often than not, it can be um, receiving slander. Um, what people are your neighbours or whatever is gossiping and you know, saying all sorts of evil things to you or anything like that. And suddenly you have to deal with this. But you don't deal with this with... You have to, everything has to be dealt with in a loving way. Love is what rules now. Everything is compassion. You see where people are at and you give to them what they need. Even people that hate you, people that are gossiping or slandering, you work out how to help them. You never, ever, ever think a mean thought, an angry thought, a critical thought upon these people. Only, how can they be helped? Or you are compassionate to them because they are trapped in this world of their emotions, their ignorance, their stupidity. It's not their fault, in a sense, um, because they're mass-conditioned by the society of which they're part of and they've not been taught anything else. So they're just going through, for them, it's a, it's a lifestyle thing. You know, people are going to a footy match and they, you know, they're screaming or shouting because somebody's put this ball into a, I don't know, what, a net or whatever it is, and they seem to go crazy over this. Now, I don't understand it. I mean, I can work it out psychologically. But to me, that's all they know. They don't know more than that. So I'm not going to be irritated by them because they put into the atmosphere a negative energy or whatever it is. You know, they can have fights or whatever. What I'm trying to say is that the second initiation, your love is of such a high refined state that you're not critical. If you find critical attitudes within you, then you'll see that and you have to work upon that. And all the time you're working upon these things so that all the time you're becoming more and more loving, less and less irritable, less and less critical, more tolerant. So you understand the second initiation. It's not that easy. It's a very difficult initiation because everyone around you is emotional and you're trying to walk this tightrope in amongst all of that and they're attacking you emotionally, and you become more sensitive. You become very sensitive to energies. And so most of these people that that are working for their second, they can't live all that much in the normal world environment. They've got to 
be a little bit far away from cities and things like that. But not everyone can do that. You produce a temple within your living space. Wherever you live, there's made a temple. It's made, you've got your shrine, it's a religious sacred space, and that's basically where you live and you go out into that world when you need to. Because most of the time now, you're contemplating, you're meditating, you're reading the spiritual books, um, you might be writing, you may be doing service work, you, know, you, you, you don't ever stop that. But it's on this, this higher level. And so the second initiation, testings, are actually quite severe. Basically, what maybe you think of might be your worst nightmare. <laughs> Whatever that is, your worst karma, the hierarchy, the, the masters of wisdom, will reserve some of the worst karma that you have from all of your past lives. And it hits you with that. And then you're tested to see how you respond, <laughs> how you relate. And so if you don't pass the testing once, then you're tested and again and again and again until eventually you pass it. And you have to be totally in control of the emotions. And with this, it's one of the hardest things I find with disciples is this energy of pride. Um, the pride just becomes, they, they have a lot of knowledge of things, of spiritual books. They've read this and they've read that, they've gone to university or whatever, and they think they know more than anyone else. And they're not humble enough <laughs> to understand that the way to pass the second initiation is technically on your knees. It's in humbleness. You cannot pass the second initiation through being proud of anything. So you're actually forced to be humble on this path. And if you, any of you have um, looked at the symbolism of the Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt, if you go into the, up the king's chamber on the inside, to get into the chamber, you have to stoop. You actually have to go down, stoop to get into it, and then you go up again. And this particular um, rock is put there to make people humble, because that king's chamber of the Great Pyramid is the chamber of initiation, where they took initiation back in those ancient times. The initiation then was that there's a inside the Great uh, Pyramid is a crypt, it's a, a tomb, um, and the initiate was put in there. And they went through special fasting and preparation and they'd stay in there for three and a half days or something like that, depending on the initiation. And they went out of their body and then came back with all the knowledge that they gained. So for all of that time, for the taking of this initiation, they'd be in this tomb. And the same with, with the story of Jesus, if any of you read the Bible and the raising of Lazarus. When Jesus was asked to go to Lazarus, and Lazarus at this time was supposed to have been dead for three to four days, and they said, surely he's stinking, you know. And, uh, but Jesus said, this is, you know, he did a, a prayer, and he said, come forth, Lazarus. And then Lazarus came, out of what you know, was called the, the, raising, or the raising of the dead. And now, uh, this was initiation. Uh, Jesus did a prayer and Jesus was the superior the master at the time so he came and helped Lazarus take his initiation, in this case it was a fourth initiation 
this was the, the mechanism or part of the symbolism of taking initiation and initiation testings. Jesus took his fourth initiation, and we're talking about two initiations above the second, when he died on the cross. And in total love and humility for all of humanity, he was naked and crucified, and that is the fourth initiation. You have to give up everything for humanity and total love for them. And not hatred for the people that nail them there. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what he said. And that's the way, as you pass your initiation testings, you, um, you evolve to that type of consciousness. And that's the fourth. Now the second initiation is a lower correspondence of the fourth. And you have to take a similar type of attitude. Forgive them, they know not what they do. While you're showing complete mastery of your emotions. Nothing can um, affect you um, in terms of what this life can offer or throw at you because it doesn't matter. You've got another life to live and you're serving. So the second initiation is actually quite difficult and many initiates training for the second will actually pass most of their third initiation testings and fourth initiation testings before they, take, they can take their second. So they take their second, third and fourth in one life. Uh, it takes a long time for them to master this uh, all aspects of the emotional quality because there's so many things to do with the emotions. Uh, the subtleties of the emotions which most of you don't understand, which you'll only know about when you're preparing for the second initiation. There's all forms of attachments that people have emotionally. For instance, attachments to your concept of your family. This is all goes for the second initiation. It's not your family, your sons, your daughters that are important. It's group service, love for humanity that's more important. So you understand all forms of these types of attachments, they have to go. And a greater love must take their place. The third initiation is complete mastery of the mind and death to whatever you think you are. What you are being preparing yourself in the third initiation is to have the soul, which is the sum of all your incarnations, plus the future, if you understand what the soul is, of all that knowledge and all that wisdom, incarnate in you, and you no longer exist. You are a soul uh, infused. But to do that, you must first develop your mind fully and the mind must rule everything. But it's not selfish mind, it's love, loving mind. And it's you, you love so much and you sacrifice your personality so that that which is what you truly are takes over, that has become you. And if you think that, for instance, when you die physically, and we talked about this before, and then you go through the after-death state into the astral plane and you go from through the uh, astral heavens and you eventually go to the mental, mental plane and then you eventually die to even the mind and you enter into the soul before you reincarnate. Now, that process that happens in the life after death, you have to achieve whilst you're alive. 
the same process for the third initiation. And then this is done by means of yoga meditation. Raja yoga is the term. And it um, produces the experience where the kundalini fire is awakened and liberates the individual. And it happens as the word of the soul ascends. So there's a whole process, a technique associated with the taking of the third initiation that necessitates the development of wisdom. So you're riding on the fact that your emotions have now been mastered, your mind has been developed, but you're producing links to the higher level of the mind, which we call the abstract mind. And those links are called the Antakrana. And in DK's books, uh, the Alice Bailey books, it's called Building the, the, the Rainbow Bridge, the Antakrana. So there's a, a process related to building the links to your soul that relates to the third initiation. And with the third initiation comes a corresponding vaster service work. At this stage, you do what I'm doing, sort of thing is writing books uh, that are helping beings. You could be a, a great orator, you're talking to people on a, you know, it can be on a large scale and so forth. So the third initiation is this one of dying to your personality of what you think you are and allowing something that's far greater than that to incarnate into you and that some of that wisdom then is you speaking through you and working through your mind. And so the mind is being controlled and converted in such a way that the higher mind the abstract mind, um, the enlightened mind can reside. And so this whole process from the first to the third initiation is the slow building up of the ability to live in the spiritual domain as an enlightened being. The definition of the soul is the son of mind living in the sea of mind, but the abstract mind is the higher mind. And so the soul is an aspect of that. There's higher states of being because a master of wisdom has taken the fifth initiation. Jesus, when he died on the cross, took his fourth. <laughs> so if you can understand, there's, um, and then there's even higher initiations than that. I won't go into the higher initiations because it's, it's difficult enough for you, for you to even understand this. The third initiation, which is what most of you are, are working to produce consciously. And so if you can imagine that which is your soul, now you have to all understand that the process of initiation is the emergence from one kingdom of nature into the next higher. And I mentioned that, for instance, the plant kingdom goes into the animal kingdom, the animal kingdom evolves into the human, but the human evolves into the, the kingdom of God or the divine kingdom. So you're evolving into this higher spiritual kingdom that is aware of the divas and, and hierarchy and Shambhala and so forth. It's a whole universe, a cosmos of multi-dimensional thinking that the third degree initiate learns about. And so as you're being prepared for your third, all these concepts to do with materialism, and they all have to be transcended into higher, more abstract concepts, concepts to do with cosmos, with the way the soul evolves, with the way a solar system comes into being, and all forms of evolution, which most human beings haven't even got a, the faintest idea actually exists. 
Um, and so it's the laws of life itself. And then the, uh, this, the initiative of the third degree, of course, is fully integrated into the ashram of the Masters of Wisdom. Now, the service work of third degree initiates, once you've taken the, an initiation, for instance, the third, say you die, you're reborn again. Now, you're not born with the knowledge of necessarily being an initiate of high degree. You have to go through the whole process again from being a child onwards. But having taken initiation, say the third initiation, means that your whole life is empowered to do the service work of an initiate of that degree. Therefore, you'll find, as I said, all the great ones, that are the great creative artists, that are scientists from the past, Newton, Isaac Newton, or Albert Einstein, or Leonardo da Vinci, or whatever, these are all initiates. They don't necessarily have to remember the fact that they went through um, taking their third initiation, for instance, in Tibet, the life before, but they incarnate with that whole motivation to serve and to do of their ray line. So they become a great scientist, they become a philosopher, they become a very great musician, they become Bach or Beethoven or one of these types of people. They just... You know, you see the whole life is just empowered to do a particular service work and it's a gift for humanity. They're not so much Beethoven or, or Bach. Obviously, you know, well, Bach had a lot of children. He had to look after <laughs> many, many children. But at the same... And therefore he had to work very hard. But he didn't sort of really just make all his music for money. He made the money so he could survive and his children could survive. He wasn't very wealthy. <laughs> but what he gave to humanity, that was a great gift. And it's the same with all these initiates. Some of them may make money, but on the whole, that's not what their service work is about. It wasn't really Albert Einstein's um, service work um, to use his great gifts to make himself the world's richest man. He simply worked hard to write more and more and work out the discovery of the, the formulas and the forces of the universe, how the universe came into being. That's what motivated him, not. And he gave that to humanity. Right? It's not like our present-day society is structured where people make an invention and say, oh, I can become very rich now, I can become a multimillionaire because I can patent this and uh, everyone give me money because of this. There's a certain need for resources. We all need to live, but we give. It's like the person who first gave us the internet. You imagine how wealthy that person would be, that little group of people, if they made everyone pay them for that. They'd be the world's richest people because we'd all have to give them money. But they gave the internet freely to everyone. It was an inter-university thing at that stage. And then later on, you get the Bill Gates that charged for what they gave to humanity and became multi-billionaires. This is not the way of initiation. The initiates are the ones who give. The selfish ones are the ones who take. They all have to pay when they take. When you give, you get the rewards of that. Not in this life. You get the rewards in your love. The energy that comes through you, the communication with God, and then of course, then you're reincarnated, and all the good karma comes as well. But it's not what the initiate is working for. 
And so the training is given by the hierarchy of light to teach you how to be loving, teach you how to give from being a pledged aspirant to a pledged disciple to a first degree initiate all the way along you're learning how to become more and more loving until eventually you can be like Jesus on the cross crucified by those that you've come to help and say Father forgive them they know not what they do in pure love for them now when you can do that then you can take that initiation and he had to live that openly for all of humanity And every other fourth degree initiate must do that inwardly, the same accomplishment. It gives you an idea of how you are evolving and the way of ascent to the kingdom of God. It's not necessary to live a life like him, but you will live inwardly and the way you live your life in terms of helping humanity the same. You have to accomplish the same. It's not my will be done, but thine. Father, you know, it's not what I want to do, it's what you want to do, that I will do, and that only. You have not one individual thought of doing anything for yourself. It's only for God or for humanity. And that's the fourth degree initiate. So they don't care what happens to their body or anything like that. What they care about is that what they've come to do on this planet to help humanity gets done. And everything that's given to them is used for this purpose. So there's the evolution ahead of you. Um, That's what you're aspiring to become. A Jesus. um, Jesus Christ on the cross. And uh, that's easy said than done, but it's what every human being shall do. And then from then they take the fifth. And the fifth is of a cosmic ascension. It's um, much more than that. So this is the talk on initiations. I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, so you can download this um, chart on the nine-headed hydrant initiation process from our website. And good.